And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And a very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you in our listening or viewing audience. It's Stan the Fan and Craig Heist, and it's time for the Batter Round. Our Saturday look into the national pastime with guests extraordinaire throughout the uh, Major League Baseball, Minor League Baseball, and anywhere, any nook and cranny. Anywhere baseball is being played. That's right. There you go. You've got that right. Who are you, anyway? I am Stan the Fan, and mm-hmm. he is Craig Heist. Oh, okay. I haven't seen you in a few weeks. Aren't you? <laughs> yeah. I was, uh, I've, been, I've been holding up the fort. Okay, good enough. All right. It's good to see you again. Yeah. By the way, since we last saw saw you, uh, Washington Capitals uh, rocked it to rock, the ultimate red. Rock, rock the red. Yes, they did. And uh, you know, I, you you cover sports in that town, and you know the stories about how long suffering the fans have been for a championship and that kind of thing. Ninety one season, ninety two Super Bowl, right? For the Redskins, and they beat the Bills in Minnesota that year, but. I mean, Dan Snyder was not the owner of the team back then, was he? No, it would have been Jack Kent Cook. Uh, that would be right. right. Yes. Okay, just double check. Sitting there going, "My God, this is great," you know. But anyway, uh, you know, to go through what they did and to do it in the fashion they did, and, and I, we sat here and we kind of dissected a few of the games and a few of the series as their run went along. And I keep telling people, and, and more, maybe more so in this sport than any other sport. You have to be good, but you also have to have a lot of luck. And in this series, I thought the puck, cap- puck luck, puck luck, yes. Yeah. And you know, you think about uh, the game in in Washington where they get up three nothing after the first period. Well, in the first ten minutes of that first period, you know, Vegas hits two post. Mm-hmm. They hit. They miss a wide open net. And the the Caps could have easily been down three nothing as opposed to up three nothing. Yeah, it was almost as if like ten years of agony of of everything going the yeah. wrong way, it all rolled the right way. And you think about the the first series they play against Columbus, they get down o two, losing both games at home. Philip Grubauer started both of those games. Then then about uh, midway through that third period, or the start of the third period, I should say, Holtby gets put back in by Barry Trotz, and then. Has the run that he had, and yep. maybe the the thing that turned the Golden Knights series around was the save the in save, game yeah. in game two. Yep. Uh, and, and I mean, you know, then they exercise the 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 Penguins demons. They're down three two to Tampa, and they win both games six and seven in a shutout. You know, it, behind to, Holtby. To me, it all started after they fell behind Columbus two zero or o two, and then one four and one four yeah. straight. There was a certain calmness about the team. Within the frenetic pace of hockey, there was a certain belief that I saw in this team, but I think the puck luck went a long way. Well, I think that and the fact that Barry Trotz went a long way, too, because yeah. everybody kind of bought into his system finally with this thing, and uh, he was, after two previous years, he was aware of what all the fans have been talking about as yeah. far as playoff failures. There's five leads of 3-1 that were blown at various times by this team uh, in the postseason. And, I mean, they just had a great run. 
And more than anything else, you have to feel great for Alex Ovechkin because 13, yep. goals, 13 goals in the playoffs, and here's a guy who really now cements his legacy, you know, probably the best goal scorer of his generation, and now he's got a Stanley Cup. Yeah, great. Well, our uh, producer extraordinaire, if we can get her on camera, Brittany Everett. Look at look at first look at the <laughs> nose, the sunburned well, nose, yeah. you know. But look at the hat she's wearing proudly. Uh, how long have you been a Caps fan? This um, was not just something that you started April 20th or something like yeah, that. Yeah, no, it was not recent. It was back in high school, so about eight years. Eight years? Yeah. yeah. I was so about I felt 80 the pain. years in high school since <laughs> I've been in high school. There you you did feel the pain. All right. Well, how, how euphoric was the parade for the fans out there? Oh, it you was amazing. It, it yeah. was amazing. Like one of the best days of my life. That's great. Yeah. That's great. And a lot, of, and a lot of fans feel that way yeah. because they've waited so long for this, and many of them that are enjoying this championship can't remember back to. You know, that was the first Super Bowl that I ever covered. Was the '92 Super Bowl, and then I did 17 in a row right. or something right. like that before the Nats came to town, and then the uh, you know you're dealing with baseball, and you spend six weeks in spring training, and that's one of the reasons why I stopped going to Super Bowls was because. You you do a week down there, and then and you, then and you had to roll right into right into six weeks away from home again, which was never necessarily never a really bad, bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, and anyway, moving right along, I'm I'm really happy for both Ted Leonsis, uh and his monumental team who've done such an extraordinary job. But I think it's important to remember Abe Poland's position in this whole thing. Oh yeah, no question uh, about and it. And the fact that he he created. The capitals and uh, and set the uh, infrastructure in place of a team that's had they've been pretty darn good for the last twenty years. Yeah, they? and there's no question about yeah. it. Yeah, and I you know this goes back to this goes back to '98 when they lost to the Red Wings in four straight in the Stanley Cup final, and then uh, you know there was some down times in between, but then you know they got they got that thing rolling. They drafted Ovechkin and. Brought him in, and he and Nicholas Backstrom have played together quite a while. Uh, the addition of T.J. Oshie, and then, you know, a lot of different pieces. We saw Devontae Smith-Pelly score a huge goal in that final game. Yeah. yeah, he had a great series. And here's a guy that scored seven goals in the playoffs. He had seven for the entire regular season. That's pretty wild. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's interesting. I talked, you know Andy Dolich, who's been on the show with us a few times. Andy was kind of like the COO of all revenue for the Capitals in Mm -hmm. 76 to about 79 or 80. And I asked him, I had him on last week to talk more specifically, and he remembered taking over a team, you know, in 76 that had won like eight games. Eight games in their inaugural season. Right, right. And this – so I said, after all said and done, you've worked for this team, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies, the San Francisco 49ers, the Oakland A's, the Sixers – I said, did this still mean something to you? He goes, you're damn right. He Absolutely. brought back brought back a flood of memories to the team we had assembled on the business side. The team with my good buddy David Rubenstein, who was an incredible salesperson those first couple seasons, that set in motion what could could be and what turned into the Capitals. Yeah, and, and you know, one of the greatest things that you, you, you bring up about this is the fact that during the celebration out in Vegas with the caps on the ice with the cup and everything, <clears throat> Braden Holtby runs the cup over to Ole Kolzig. Right. 
and lets him only the goalie. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, and absolutely. And uh, yeah. he was there. Uh, you know, you know, with the red, you know, the Red Wings disappointment sure. that year. But, but I mean, Ole was just a great player, and here's a guy that certainly feels that. And there are a lot of people that feel yeah, it. You it's kind of like the passing of the torch. Yeah, and you bit. know what? I really don't think George McPhee feels all that bad about losing that cup. I mean, no, yeah, no, be- no. because he he, he, he he was part of it too. He, he was yeah. a major part, major of part that, of putting that uh, of, team together, of yeah. really taking them from the middle of the pack to being a contender, yeah. perennial contender. Uh, real quick on the bat around today, and it's interesting how as this Orioles season's evolved. We're going to try and figure out other things than baseball or real baseball well, no, and, to talk about. And here's <laughs> the funny thing about it: you think about the 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 city of Baltimore and the yep. Baltimore market, yep, and the support they threw toward the Caps. I mean, you know, you're looking at national TV ratings: fourth one night, third the next night in Baltimore, in, in Baltimore yeah. across the country. Yep, you know, in in terms of TV ratings. Uh, and, yeah, with the Orioles playing badly, maybe this was something Baltimore could get behind. Yeah, no question about it. No question about it. But, anyway, on the show today, we're going to jump on the phone in just a minute with Steve Garland, the proprietor of uh, one of our favorite eating and watching sports establishments, Big Bats in Stevensville, Maryland, just across the Bay Bridge, first exit after the bridge. We'll talk to him about the traffic report on the way down to Ocean City, which must be starting to – be percolating. Oh, it was there. I was down on Thursday. All yeah. right. Rich Dubroff of Press Box will join us at 1020. Ed Matz of ESPN.com will join us. Ed, my cousin. And at 11.05, my friend Joe Shuda, who does a really neat little two-minute thing called Two-Minute Timeout. So it's TwoMinuteTO.com, and he does little features, uh, some, some of the kind of stuff you've done in the past over when you were with T.O.P., you did some feature stuff. Um, he's he's going to talk to us about the passing of Bruce Keeson, who mm-hmm. he covered for a good time mm-hmm. up in the Cumberland-Pittsburgh uh, area. Ed Wheatley, co-author of this book, and it's called St. Louis Browns, the story of a beloved team. Can you keep that there for the rest of the two hours? <laughs> you didn't care if it was there. You just wanted it there. Okay. The um, reason we're having Ed back on the show is his third trip in for brief visit was because um, one of his best friends, Ed's best friends, is Barry Blank, who was an original investor in Press Box, and we got the book in the hands of uh, Gary Thorne. And mm. Gary Thorne read it and really liked it enough to write on his blog about it and do a video blog on Masson about it. So we thought we'd just keep a little momentum of, of surrounding that. Yeah, and it gives you a, a good detailed history, too, of what this franchise was like before it got here and the the fans that were kind of left behind yep. in St. Louis who supported this team. They're probably enjoying this summer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, joining us right now, speaking of enjoying this summer, is someone who I know is having a rough time with the Orioles this season, our friend Steve Garland, proprietor of Big Batch Cafe. Steve, how are you, my friend? I'm doing fantastic. Dan, how are you today? I'm doing great. First of all, we, we uh, sort of saluted the Washington Capitals. Uh, I know it did good things for business down there. Uh, how were those last couple games at uh, Big Bats? Oh, the, the, cat, the tap store is pretty amazing. I was Unfortunately, I was hoping they would lose a game or two so we could go to the seventh game. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you can, you, you can play the reruns of it, you know? Invite yeah. <laughs> people back for a cup night. 
Um, tell us a little bit about how you're feeling about the O's, and then we'll take a look at the bridge traffic. Well, um, yeah, that's, kind of, that's watch- kind of the way we feel about it, too. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me interject one thing before I let you answer my question. Craig Heist actually gave me a compliment. He said, last night you said something really, really great on your after bird watching, uh, you know, thing on Facebook Live. All of us can agree this season really sucks. I mean, it's really horrible. But I'd like to see the one person that says, I predicted they'd win 48 to 52 games. I, the point I made last night was, yeah, it's easy to see how horrible they are now, but before the season, I'd say the most optimistic of us thought they'd win between 86 and 90. The most pessimistic probably thought we'd win between 68 and 73, and that bridge in there is somewhere where we really, most of us thought they'd finish, 78, 81, could, is there any way you could have foreseen this all falling apart as as it has? I, I just, I just, it, it's just hard to, to understand. You look at the faces and expressions of the batters when they are unsuccessful when they make their plate appearance, and it's it. They're they're just dep- they're all look very depressed. All the players do, and uh, it just seems like. Uh, I, I, like I said, it, it's hard to talk about because they just you, you don't want to keep talking about how bad they are. Yep. Because they're not that bad. No ball player is that bad. But as a group, they are working very together as being a very depressing team. Yeah, yeah. That look on their face is similar to the look Craig Heist and I had on, at singles bars in our in our heyday. You know, when we'd walk out of a singles bar. <laughs> Right, I have no, out, I have no idea out, what the hell he's talking about. Struck out quite a bit, didn't we, Craig? Speak for yourself. The one facial expression that puts it all together for how all the players are acting is Mancini. I mean, he is. Yeah, he is. He is. He's so hard on himself. He's so mad at himself every time he doesn't succeed, and he just can't buy a base hit. You know, when he does hit it well, he hits it right at somebody, and that so. Uh, that's it's it's just it's just sad and and I don't think anybody's playing up the parts. I mean, how can you look at Scope right now and say what he did, looked at him and the way he played last year and look at him now? It's not even the same guy. Well, and you you look at some of the guys up and down this lineup who have proven track records, and yeah, regardless of how bad Chris Davis has been for the last two years, he's still a guy with a proven track record. Uh, you look at Adam Jones, he, he's had a decent year for by, by all standards, but uh, and Machado's put up numbers, but you look at the Mancini's and you look at the, at the scopes and, and guys like that and Chris Davis and, you know, some of the guys in this lineup are guys that Buck Showalter has won with before. And it's just it's totally gone south. You know what I well, found. You know, you know what I found really in, incredible last night. And Craig and I went over this before we hit the airwaves here, Steve. The Marlins have played seventy games. We think they've played roughly sixty or sixty-two of them with without a designated hitter. The Orioles have played sixty-eight games. We think roughly the Orioles have probably played. 62-63 with a designated hitter. The Marlins have outscored the Orioles by 10 runs. That's pretty amazing when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah, it is. You know, it, it was exciting last night when you saw Adam Jones lay the bunt down 
and and then Machado, you know, got a nice base hit, and then then the normal yep. sad things happen that everything falls apart again. Well, you uh, know, here, here's the other stat for this: you're 68 games into this, you are now 30 games under 500, yep. and you are one game off the pace. Of the 88 season. Yeah. 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 So. Hey, uh, Steve, let's talk about something maybe as frustrating to people as the Orioles, and that's the traffic going across the Bay Bridge. But there's always optimism when you're going across that bridge because you're heading for a good time down there with the fun family in Ocean City. Uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about how the traffic looks from uh, Big Bats right now. Well, Stan, I believe it or not, I'm still in my vehicle. I just crossed the Bay Bridge. Uh, there was probably about a quarter of a mile back up at the Bay Bridge, and that was it, and traffic's moving fine right now. All right. That's a, that's a look at the bridge, Bay Bridge traffic report. We urge anybody going across the bridge or right before they're going to hit the bridge coming home to stop at one of our favorite eateries, and that's Big Batch Cafe in Stevensville. Um, great sports grub uh, whether it's uh, subs, sandwiches, burgers, salads, soups, great desserts, great beers. Uh, it's all there for you at Big Bats Cafe, uh, and it's owned by this guy who we uh, we really like a lot, Steve Garland. Steve, thank you for coming on with us. Hey, Stan, uh, let's hope the next time we talk there's a, a couple bright start spots, and, and we know who's in charge of the Orioles then. All right, that sounds good. That sounds like a deal. All right, thanks, okay, buddy. Good. All right. And that's another Bye. interesting question. Who's going to be in charge of the Orioles? Well, it's interesting. We'll, we'll talk to uh, Rich Dubroff in just a minute about that. The first name that has surfaced is somebody that the club is talking to. Uh, and it's interesting. You read one article one day, and you're getting Dan Duquette talking about, you know, yeah, we're, we're in the trade mode now, you know, and – it seems like he's in control of making these initial foray into the trade talks, but the news surfaces yesterday that Ned Coletti has been interviewed or talked about uh, as coming in to run this thing. Uh, what do you think, Craig? Well, you know, Ned, uh, certainly uh, a guy who has his mark there with the Dodgers and did quite a nice job out there. Uh, but uh, an executive that uh, his name intrigues me a little bit. I know some people within the industry who have worked with Ned. Sure. And, uh, you know. Our friend Ron Rizzi. Uh, Ron right? Rizzi, yeah. And I, I think that uh, anything right now that presents itself with a new voice, Stan, and yep. I think that's what we're, I think that's where this thing is right now is maybe the, the message is stale, maybe just somebody needs to come in here with a new voice. All right. Speaking of new voices, joining the show right now is an old voice, but he's new for this particular show, Rich Dubroff of PressBox, PressBoxOnline.com. Rich, how are you, my friend? I'm great, Stan. How are you doing? Good, good. Um, last night, and you, you cover the team on a daily basis. You're around there with Ed and Rock and Dan Connolly and Brittany and all this. Uh, how new is this uh, name, Ned Coletti, to the discussion of the future of Orioles management? Is that something you've heard over the last week or two? No. Okay. Uh, it was pretty surprising. It was it was pretty surprising to me when I saw it. Uh, right. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, 
what happens in the next few weeks and a few months. Uh, I you know don't know necessarily what to make of it. it. If you had to guess, would you think there's a significance to to? I think Ken Rosenthal is the one that first reported it. Is there a significance that he's the first name we've heard, or do you think there will be four or five others or ten others? I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think I think that there may be, you know, maybe others. He may not have been the first, you know, he yep. may not have been the first to have, you know, talked with them. It, you know, this just may have been the first name that's been reported. So I don't know, you know, what kind of, uh, you know, whether that, that, and then, you know, a Ned Colletti, if Ned Colletti were hired or a Ned Colletti type were hired, you assume that would be, you know, for the general manager's uh, job, which obviously makes things uh, very sticky for Dan Duquette. Rich, I said this to Stan a couple of minutes ago before you got online, and that's the, the fact that I, I just think maybe we're at a point with this team now where, one, I don't think most people looking at this season going in would have said it could be this bad. Number two, I think you are at a point in this season where uh, the voices from up top, uh, that message is just not getting through anymore. And maybe it is just time to get new voices in here, if you will. Well, I, I think that, you know, I think it's not necessarily just the new voices. I think it, it, there are certain things that have to change, uh, you know, and as we've talked about before. I think we have they, the Orioles have to, to spend more money on scouts. Uh, they have to not they have to not punt on uh, scouting in, in Latin America. Uh, you know, they, Dan Duquette and his regime have not done a bad job on the minor leagues. The minor leagues, I think, are, are certainly improved, uh, but they need to improve more. They're not exactly teeming with prospects. Right. There's some decent prospects. They're not really a lot of top shelf prospects, so uh, there there's some things that, that that need improvement, and and to me more importantly, new ways of doing things. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the yeah. head there with new ways of doing things, and I think you know the the name we're talking about is a good friend of ours who used to scout for the Dodgers, worked under Ned Coletti, now works for the Nationals, is Ron Rizzi. Ron told me the other day, you just cannot just abdicate 30% of the baseball playing population and 40%, he said, of the superstars in the game are of, of Latin American uh, heritage. And he goes, you know, the Orioles just can't continue to do that. He said he was down at Delmarva and there's not a Latin American player on the team. Yeah. Yeah, there, 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 there isn't. And, uh, you know, they, they have – They've have signed a few players from Latin America. Yeah, but the problem is uh, the few. guys they, that they we've signed, signed are Henry Urrutia, Dario Alvarez. We no, haven't. No, 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 yeah, no. I don't mean that, Stan. Go ahead. They they signed last year. They of their international bonus money, I, they signed I think six players, uh, and that's a tiny bit of their allotment. Okay. They need to, you know, they need to do what the other teams do. Yeah. No they need question. to, you know, what happened was. They didn't want to bid. They didn't want to get into wild bidding wars with other teams over sixteen-year-olds. But what's happened is that in this new collective bargaining agreement, the number, the the salaries, the, the bonuses are capped. Right. So there's really, to me, no excuse 
for um, you know for not engage you know engaging there. Yeah. You know, if five years ago maybe there was uh, because they didn't want to pay you know forty or fifty million dollars for a UN uh, assessment, ten million dollars yeah. to, to to an unknown sixteen year old. Right. But now uh, it's now it's more controlled. And I think that this has really, really hurt them. You know, it, it's really been a philosophy at the top, in my opinion. I don't think this is a Dan Duquette thing. No, but it, I it's think, not. But I think what but Dan think- has smartly done is he said, if I can't have the scouts, the, the finances for scouting this properly, we're, gonna, we're not going to swoop in occasionally and get guys we don't really know that well. Yeah, because it right. it's a and token you effort. Well, yeah. What you, but you had said uh, about Urudia and Daryl Alvarez. That's that's totally different because they had a scout who's no longer with the organization, Fred Ferriara, right? Who sort of specialized in uh, in, in Cuba, and he knew um, he knew all the you know he knew the Cuban prospects, and those guys were old. Those guys, Alvarez. Right, and, they, and they were not Miranda the 16 and, and 18 year were older. Yeah, yeah. And what we're talking about here are, you know, the teenage, you know, are the raw teenagers. Right. You know, the Orioles have an academy in the Dominican Republic. You know, they just don't, they just don't spend, you know, big money on signing the players, and that's what they have to do. No question about it. No question about it. Um, go ahead. I was going to say, I, 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 you, you look at some of these numbers for this team right now, Rich, and I know you can probably reel them off better than than I can or anyone else, but the first thing that jumps to me Don't is... Don't give them too much credit. You're, you're 68 games into this thing, you're 30 games under 500, and the amount of games where this team has scored three runs or less, the amount of starts that Kevin Gosman has had where they're under two runs a game is just absolutely mind-boggling to me. It, it is. I mean, everything is. You know, I thought that I thought that this season could be a challenge for the Orioles. I didn't. I didn't even think that they were a 500 team going into the season uh, because I didn't like. I didn't like their lineup. I didn't like how their lineup was positioned. But never did I think that Jonathan Scope was going to have a season like he's had. Mm-hmm. Never did I think that that Trey Mancini was going to uh, fall fall back uh, this far. And of course. I don't think anybody thought that Chris Davis was going to regress this badly. So you have a, a lot of, uh, you know, when you you have three big hitters who aren't hitting close to what they, uh, you know, wh- what their lifetime averages are, or what you thought they'd be. Um, there's trouble. Yeah, you when know? you have a team with uh, this, when you have and, a team. And one of the things that's interesting is, you know, people are are calling obviously for a rebuild. Well, they're actually started in in a small way, but you know, on a good team, if this team were good, Chan Cisco probably wouldn't be in the major leagues right now. But what they're doing is they're sort of painfully rebuilding at catcher with Cisco and Austin Wins, two young, uh, you know, younger players, and you know. It's difficult. You know, some people say, "Oh well, gee, send them back." But that's what rebuilding is, Craig, as you know. Yeah. You know, um, people people are all eager for a rebuild, but it's not all of a sudden going to turn the team around. You you you're going to have you're going to have a lot of time. <laughs> you know, 
Well, no, let, let's year, let's be next year. You know, next year where it's probably going to be pretty painful to watch because you know their trajectory, the trajectories of, of some of these young players, um, Cedric Mullins, DJ Stewart, maybe Steve Wilkerson, isn't necessarily straight up. Yeah, the the players that they have right now that are percolating near the top of the 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 minor leagues. The, let's let's be clear. They're not that much like Matt Wieters or Manny Machado or Adam Jones when those guys, or Chris Davis, when they sort of made it into the Orioles and created this nucleus of the team that's been pretty darn good for five of the last six and a half years. This is going to be, I think, a much more painstaking uh, process than, than fans think right now. Well, because fans, you know, fans think, oh, gee, it can't get any worse. You know, off season long, whenever they'd hit a, um, you know, whenever they, they'd hit a, uh, you know, a rough patch, people would say, well, is this rock bottom? Is this rock bottom? Well, I don't know what rock bottom is. <laughs> I don't think anybody you know? does with this team. It sure seems like it's at pretty close to it right now. We're right. talking with Rich Dubroff of PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Greg? Yeah, you're you're right, Rich. I mean, you know, and and Stan on his show last night, the uh, uh, after bird watching, I, I made a point that if you would have said, you know, there, there's a group of people that thought they the totally optimistic people that said, yeah, this team has a chance to win 90 games. There's the pessimistic people that say they're probably going to win 70. There's that group in between, but I don't think that anybody would have envisioned that this team being on a pace to win whatever 50, 50, 49 50 games yeah 49 50 games i just don't think that and i mean that you know if you want to call that rock bottom then that's fine but uh, the the bottom line here is you got a bunch of players as you just mentioned that are not performing up to the standards uh of their track records and you know it, we, we, we always talked about how bad this pitching staff was going into the season. Well, then all of a sudden, Kashner gets signed, Cobb gets signed, and no, they haven't really done all that well. But if you'd have told me the pitching would be better and ahead of the hitting at this point, I would not have believed that. So, I mean, they, they've got a lot of figuring out to do, if you will. Well, they, they you know, they, they sure do. And it's going to be interesting these next few weeks to see, you know, what kind of offers they get for Manny Machado, for Zach Britton, even for Brad Brock or Adam Jones. How did, how did uh, Britton look last night, by the way? Uh, I left the game. He was fine. Standing. I mean, it, it was a very clean, you know, yeah. it was a very clean inning. You know, there's a lot of interest in Britton already. Yeah. There are, you know, a lot of scouts following him around. And they're, you know, if Zach Britton is close to to what he was the last couple of years, then uh, you know he could uh, he could be the difference maker for a team. Well, he certainly so, he certainly looked that part last night because the two strikeouts with the heavy sink, and then also he got the ground ball. So I mean, he looked really good as opposed to you know the first time back out there where yeah he walked three people but he wound up getting out of that inning without a run being scored but he looked like Zach Britton last night. Yeah, he sure, you know, he sure did. And you know, and it's interesting that they get Britton and O'Day back and then they lose Richard Blyer. Yeah. yeah. You know, this was yeah. this was a, a real strength of the team, the bullpen, you know, and they didn't really ha- and they didn't have those five guys together uh pitching for 
Yeah, yeah. it is. That is a, more yeah. than a day. You know, more than a day or two. Yeah. And uh, now Blyer, it looks like uh, it looks like Blyer could be out for a year. Yeah, it, it's a that's a really rough injury. Uh, you know, to to recover from a torn lat uh, behind his behind his pitching shoulder. Mm-hmm. You know, underneath the pitching shoulder. We're talking Rich Dubroff. Uh, Rich. Um, uh, also, you talk, you know, that old expression or the old song from, I think it was B.B. King, if it wasn't for bad luck, we'd have no luck at all. Uh, the two kind of leading lights of the minor league system, pitching-wise, Hunter Harvey, outfield-wise, Austin Hayes, and neither one of them apparently has been right for much of the season. Hayes went on the DL maybe two weeks ago, I think, with an ankle issue, but it had an- another shoulder issue earlier, uh, and now Hayes with the um, instability in his pitching shoulder, again, behind the shoulder, uh, that can't be good news for the Orioles. No, it, it, it can't, Stan. You know, he was, he was working at Bowie. Uh, some starts were good. Some starts were not good. Uh, but the hope was that, you know, maybe late in the season, they could take a look. They could take a look at him. That's yep. that doesn't look like it's going to happen right now. Uh, you know, and, and it's so frustrating because it's been five years now since they drafted Hunter Harvey, and this is the first time he'd ever pitched above Del, you know pitched mm-hmm. above Delmarva. And yeah. when he's right, he, he seems to be you know he seems to be good, but uh, it's it, it's just been you know very very vexing. For them. What about uh, Hayes? Hayes? What's the reports on? To, yeah. Sorry. What's the reports currently with Hayes right now? Uh, with Hayes, uh, he uh, he needs another at least another two weeks in his walking boot. Mm. He's got a walking boot on the ankle. You know, he was sent down to Bowie this year because uh, they feel that he needs to hit right-handers better. He needs to hit the curve better, and he had not done well. He was hitting 224 when he was put on the disabled list. So uh, it looks like, you know, as you said, the two uh, two of the top prospects, Hayes and Harvey, are not going to be uh, much help, if any, to the Orioles this season. And am I right, Craig? I mean, uh, uh, Rich, about three weeks ago, you 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 said to me, you turned to me in the press box and said. We could be seeing DJ Stewart up here pretty soon. Didn't he get hurt immediately? Almost. He got hurt, but he's back now. Okay. He got hurt. He had a, uh, you know, he had a, uh, I think it was a groin injury. Right. Uh, or, ha- sorry, a hamstring injury. But I believe he is back now, and I think they'd like to let him work a little bit. And I think that you will see him, uh, you know, you will see him fairly soon. I'd like to certainly see uh, Cedric Mullins uh, up as well. So I, I, I think that they have, you know, some prospects, you know, Mullins and Stewart are certainly major league prospects, though not of that top shelf variety. Rich, let me ask you a question real quick about Adam Jones. And this had to do with a game uh, in the middle of the week uh, in the last series before the day off, where it looked as though uh, a ball got away from the bullpen and he went back to the warning track to retrieve that ball. And it appeared to me that uh, something had happened. And, and I want to say that this happened Tuesday night because the next day, Adam took it was off that day. And 
it, it looked as though after he was tr going back to get into position, he was hopping around and trying to loosen something up. And last night on both of those triples, uh, yeah, he, he, didn't look he, didn't, he didn't look great going after him. And I'm just wondering just how healthy is he and if something's wrong. Yeah, I mean, I remember I, I asked Buck Showalter before the day game uh, about Jones, and he said, no, it was just a planned it was just a planned day off, but you know, it, it, it seems as if Jones is often sort of beaten up, uh, you know, because he plays, you know, he plays so hard out there. But uh, that was, uh, you know, that that was certainly noticeable last night. Yeah, Rich, we're uh, talking to you uh, to, today. We get to see. I know you do the uh, jersey of the day uh, and have for what five years now. I think we're in the. I think we're Sixth, in the fifth year. Fifth yes, year. I think we, so you've I got sometime in two thousand in two thousand fourteen. So you won't be wearing an Orioles jersey, but you've got an old uh, Oriole out there on the mound today. Uh, uh, is is there any emotion surrounding Wee-In Chen making a start here in Baltimore? No, I don't think so, uh, because I think that you know while fans kind of liked him, he never uh, because he he didn't really. Uh, make much of an effort to uh, engage with the fans. You know, in all in the years that he was with the Orioles, in the four years he was with the Orioles, he only attended one fan fest. Right. He was not someone who, uh, um, you know, who went out of his way. I thought to to engage fans because I think he he had a you know a nice personality, and uh, even though he didn't have a very good grasp of English. Uh, you know, he seemed to be a, a nice person. Well, so far but, that doesn't uh, separate him. That doesn't separate him from Craig Heist. Favorite. That doesn't separate him much from Craig Heist. The, well, yeah, but Craig, I think Craig does uh, a much better job uh, engaging with his public. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the other uh, one other thing we were talking about the Adam Jones injury, and that day off that Jones got in the day game, there was an outfield of Gentry, Rickard and Peterson. Mm. And that, in, in a lot of ways, kind of tells you everything you need to know about mm. this season. Yeah. Well, you know, that, the, that, uh, you should take a picture of that outfield because you know how when, when you got to college and they said, now look to your left, and look to your right, <laughs> right. you know, and uh, at the end of this year, one of you isn't going to be here. Yeah. They, they all may feel that way. I didn't think there was anybody in college that looked to the right anymore. <laughs> Hey, uh, before we let you go, Mr. Dubroff, one one thing, who, whomever is making the planning stages, suppose the Orioles were in the market to trade Zach Britton or Machado and could get a leadoff hitter that played left field, and, but he was a pretty good leadoff potential hitter, okay? It sh should the club, or do you feel the club will be thinking, well, we can't get a left fielder because we got Trey, or do you think that first base is now open for business as to who could start there next season? And I'm not talking well, about you releasing know, you Chris know, Stan, Davis. When you have yeah. a club that's on the pace to lose, you know, 112 or 113 games, yeah. I don't know if there are too many places where you can say we're set here. Well, they're, they're, not, they're clearly not set talent-wise or, or performance-wise right now. But in other words, what I'm saying is, is the club almost ready, in its at least in its planning stages, to say, we can't count on Chris Davis anymore for much of anything? 
yeah, I he's going to have to show he's going to yeah. have to show something. Yeah. All and, right. You know, well, Buck you, Showalter again talked at length about him before the game uh uh before the game yesterday. And uh I, there's nothing really new, there's nothing really new to say about Chris Davis. And we'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. Rich Dubrov, many thanks for joining us. We know we'll be without you next week because you'll be in hot, unless is, is Saturday's game a night game next week in Atlanta? Oh, it's a day game. It's a day but, game. Uh, we'll talk to you in two weeks. Then. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Rich. Talk to you okay, soon. Okay, my pleasure. All right. What he was alluding to, we'll, we're going to be playing some of that in the last half yeah. hour of this show. Yep. Buck's comments on Chris Davis and his benching. Uh, yeah. Uh, for the foreseeable foreseeable future. That's easy for you to say. Exactly. All right. Uh, Ed Matz of ESPN.com joins us. But first, uh, a word or two. What could be better than a night out at the ballpark with the Aberdeen Ironbirds, Craig? How about five nights at the ballpark to five sold-out weekend games? To learn more about the Ironbirds' best ticket plan ever, go to ironbirdsbaseball.com or call 410-297-9292. Their GM Matt Slatus will join us next week on the bat around. The Iberdeen Ironbirds are back in business, back playing baseball. Get sizzling summer savings on a huge selection of new Chevys this month at Jerry Chevrolet. How hot are these savings? Well, how about up to $15,000 off kind of hot, including up to 25% off MSRP on new 2018 Chevy Cruises and Malibus. Jerry's has new Equinoxes with payments from $169 a month and new tracks from only $119 a month. Plus, every new Chevy comes with Jerry's exclusive extended service care. Visit Jerry Chevrolet on Joppa Road and online at jerrychevrolet.com I'm Jill Powell. Each day I'll bring you the latest from the floor of the Maryland General Assembly. I'll speak with the newsmakers and feature the sound that is shaping the future of Maryland. Be sure to catch the Maryland Capital Report at any time at marylandnewsnetwork.net We're celebrating all things Maryland when the Baltimore Brigade take on the Albany Empire Saturday, June 23rd at Royal Farms Arena for Maryland Pride Night. Enjoy fun for the whole family, including our post-game field party when you can meet the entire Brigade team. Get yourself in the game for as low as $14 when you visit BaltimoreBrigade.com today. What could be better than a night out at the ballpark with the Aberdeen Ironbirds? How about five nights at the ballpark to five sold-out weekend games? With the Ironbirds' best ticket plan, you'll get to see fireworks, a national entertainment act, or a special guest appearance every game, while reaping the rewards of a season seat member like a unique giveaway and a priority access to playoff tickets and special events all for just $50 a seat. For more information, go to ironbirdsbaseball.com or call 410-297-929. That's 410-297-9292. You and your family don't want to miss out on the Ironbirds' best ticket plan ever. Rory's Story Cubes is the original that started the Story Cube movement and inspired creativity and storytelling across the globe. And they come with every Chick-fil-A kids meal at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. Chick-fil-A kids meals are all around $5, including the kids' chicken strips, kids' nuggets, and kids' grilled nuggets. Text the family right now and announce that it's Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square tonight. That's at 5198 Campbell Boulevard in Nottingham. Tell them that Glenn and Kyle said hi. 
Are you looking for a great deal? Maybe you need that perfect, affordable outfit or clothes for growing kids. Or maybe you're looking for that hard-to-find collectible. Visit Goodwill today. Shop with a mission and find everyday low prices on thousands of items, including brand-name clothing, stylish accessories, shoes, and furniture. Come to Goodwill and see what you can find. When you shop at Goodwill, when you donate to Goodwill, you will help someone find a job. To find a store near you, visit give to goodwill.org. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports, video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, I, I'm, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand, for me, why they have to be assless chaps. I have the chaps that I have. Okay. <laughs> and I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. How does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash Sports. And welcome back to the Bat Around. Craig Ice along with Stan the Fan. Who is busy looking through his Rolodex right now. <laughs> no, I passed nah. that on. I texted Mr. Matz, who's a uh, cousin of mine. You know, all these guys that are in the media, it's just amazing that, uh, you know, to, to think how much they have. Ed didn't write that down somewhere that he was on the show. Mm-hmm. So he could have gotten up this morning and... <laughs> just forgot all about just it. Just forgot all about it. Well, you yeah. know, the other part Because I am forgettable. And, and there's there, one thing. And there are other people in the media... Yeah. Who sometimes just leave their phones at home? <laughs> who would that be? Oh, uh, it's me. <laughs> and we just got up this All morning. Right. Oh, I got to get up to I got to get up to Baltimore, and, and just got about halfway up Route One and went, yeah, dag on it. <laughs> I have one suggestion: if you don't get Ed Matz now, why don't you move to Joe Shuda, who was going to be on at eleven oh five? He might be by his phone, and then we can. Work on getting a hold of kind of flip flop them a little bit, yeah. The old flip. now again, of course, it could be me that flip flop them could in be. the schedule. Yeah. And Joe Shooter's sitting there at the phone going, Where's the, that stand? Said he'd well, call at 10 45. That senility thing has a chance, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it can set in every yeah, now and then. We were talking about the Orioles and their struggles, uh, uh, with the offense. And Steve Molesky, our good buddy from massinsports.com, uh, oh, for oh, 52. Three for 58 with runners in scoring position in their last eight games alone. Wow. And they've been held to one run or fewer 21 times. That just goes to just show you exactly how bad it is with the Orioles and their offense. And, again, you, you look at it being what it is, and you, you try to th- – see some positives that might get this thing jump-started a little bit, Stan, and I just don't see it. Yeah. I mean, it's just not there. And there's a lot of – I know there's a lot of interchangeable parts for Buck in this lineup throughout this course of the year, but it's it's really tough to imagine that this team would struggle as much as they have offensively. You know, sometimes, though, when you look at all those options, it's kind of like when your mom used to cook dinner and she wasn't a very good cook – you know the options. All right, well, that falls into my category. What do you got? <laughs> the options. The options. Are whether it's going to be uh, spaghetti and meatballs or liver or well, whatever. Well, the, are not the, that great. The options for me was either you eat what's on the table or you go to bed. One of the two. Right. Joining us right now is from ESPN.com, Ed Matz. Eddie, how are you, my friend? 
Top of the morning. Doing great. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it, as always. Um, obviously, we had you on to talk about both uh, teams on your beat. So let's start with the more pleasant team right now uh, to cover, and that is the Washington Nationals. Um, how are you feeling right now about where the Nationals are sitting? Uh, they need to get healthy. Like I think the yeah. presumption, and the correct presumption, is that if and when they get healthy, they're as good as anybody. And I think that's true, but until that happens, they're not, and they just can't seem to catch a break, right? Some of the hitters are coming back now. Adam Eaton is back, presumably healthy. Daniel Murphy, healthy, but he's back in the lineup and got his first hit yesterday. So, you know, those guys are game changers, but then they lose Strasburg to some shoulder stuff. Jeremy Hellickson is a hamstring, I think. So, Brian Zimmerman's still out. They, you know, they just can't seem to stay healthy so the fact that they've been able to be where they are given that is is fantastic especially with the way the braves and earlier in the season the phillies were playing so i think if you're david martinez you're pretty happy with where you are at some point if i'm him i gotta be getting nervous like all right guys let's get all my guys on the field at one time well they're heading toward a pretty big series next weekend at home against the philadelphia phillies after they get done with the one game with the yankees and the and the makeup game on monday and then the orioles come in for three but that that series against the phillies next week could prove to be uh uh, a pretty interesting series you know when you stop to think about where these teams are in the standings yeah, no doubt. Although I think a couple of weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, it seemed a lot more compelling because the Phillies, Phillies are really slow. Problems, yeah. you know? um, but no, I think it'll still be interesting, especially because what happened with the, the Nationals in Atlanta when they went down there and lost three or four. I think people, most people, including myself, expected them to at least split and probably take three or four and maybe sweep. Didn't happen. So you're like, okay, maybe the rest of the division is, is, is legit and maybe the Nationals you know, aren't quite as ready to, to run away with it as we thought. So that Philly series will be an interesting follow-up to what happened in Atlanta. What did you make of the Mike Rizzo situation this week when uh, someone within the organization uh, said that uh, Bryce Harper, that the Nationals can't win with him, he's not a winner? And, and well, it wasn't, it, correct me if I'm wrong, it wasn't somebody in their organization, right? It was, it was an executive. An executive, yes. yes. But it's funny you make it's funny you say that because if if I, to me that's a, a little bit of a Freudian slip. If I were the host of the show, that would have been a Freudian slip because I'm a, I am a horrible conspiracy theorist. Yeah. So when I saw that, I was like, "What are the odds that that's not coming from somebody in the organization, in the Nationals, right?" Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's probably not. But whether it's the Nationals or any of the other teams that might be in the running for Harper in the off season, I think you have to take it with a grain of salt because I think. If, if I'm an executive and I'm in play for Harper, whether I'm Rizzo, whether I'm in L.A. or Chicago, I'm going to do anything I can to try and drive down the value of Bryce Harper. And mm-hmm. if I put that out there, it's certainly not going to drive his value up. Right? Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, I've, you know, I've, I've done pieces where I source anonymous executives before. It's something you have to do because executives rarely want to go on record, especially with stuff like that. So, you know, I think Rizzo was... Obviously, he's going to defend Harper, and you have to commend him for that. He called it yellow journalism, and you can sort of understand where he's coming from, but I've, I've been there. I've been that guy who's written that piece before on Harper. Like I've, I've sourced anonymous executives in pieces on Harper before, so it's it's tricky because it, it's tough to get that source without it being anonymous, but 
I think everybody kind of did what they needed to do. The, the writer got the source. The executive stayed anonymous. Uh, Rizzo defended his guy. Um, so it's kind of it was a weird situation. I, you know, I do think it's interesting when you look. Rizzo's defense of Harper was that that it's ludicrous to call him a losing player because he's won Rookie of the Year. He's won MVP. I don't think that's what the executive was talking about, right? Winning, right. winning awards doesn't make you a winning player. Winning championships makes you a winning player. Shane Battier comes to mind from basketball, right? Or mm-hmm. Russell Martin in baseball, guys that wherever they go, they either win championships or come close to it everywhere they go. And that hasn't happened in D.C. with Harper, but that's not Harper's fault necessarily. He's a piece of the puzzle, right? But mm-hmm. there's a whole list of people that are responsible for that. So I thought that part of Rizzo's defense was interesting, and I don't necessarily agree with that part of his defense. What, but I like I the way he defended his guy, though. What are the uh, early uh, signs, uh, in your opinion, and Craig's sitting next to me as well, and he covers them uh, close as well. What do you guys both think of Dave Martinez up to this point? I'll start with you, Ed. Uh, I think he's done a nice job. He, he remains positive. He refuses to throw anyone even remotely near the bus much less under the bus, which is good. Uh, of course, as a first-year manager, that's probably the only tack you can take. Uh, he is, you know, from standpoint, I, Dusty Baker was very anecdotal. He would tell great stories. There was just a whole lot of color to to do the, the job for me personally and you know, for, for Craig, too. The thing you need to do, he gave us great sound bites. Davey doesn't necessarily do that. He's more from the Matt Williams school of don't say much, you know, right. short answers and that kind of stuff. Um but I think you can live with it because I think he's doing a good job with the team. Uh, when the microphones are off and you're just hanging out with him, he's super anecdotal and and he's a, he's a fantastic guy. That that is you know what makes you a good manager or not. But I think he's got. Uh, I think the team uh, enjoys having him. I think he has good control of the clubhouse. Uh, definitely a player's kind of manager. Uh, I just wish he would be give us a little more fodder. You know. Tell some stories every now and then on the record. Yeah, I'm with you on that, and I, I agree with your assessment. And I think he's done a couple of things this year. Uh, in when this offense was struggling mightily uh, to try to jumpstart a little bit, he put Bryce Harper in the leadoff spot for a few weeks, and that seemed to do two things. One, it started to get the offense in gear a little bit, but it also got Bryce more pitches to hit, and we saw him hit a few home runs, but. You know, throughout the course of this year, Bryce just has not hit for average. He's hitting about 220 or so, uh, 230, uh, but but the power numbers are there. Uh, so when you think about Bryce Harper going down the line and toward the free agency in the offseason, this is something I think that's got to change a little bit for Bryce. For, forget about other maybe executives trying to drive the price down. Bryce may be doing that a little bit himself, himself Eddie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. Like, if you're choosing between Machado and Harper right now, yeah. in my mind, it's kind of a no-brainer. Uh, it, it, you mentioned the, the home runs, Craig. It's interesting that you know, Harper's always had that big swing, but when he's going well, he, he knows when to put it in his pocket. He'll go the other way. Right. He'll he'll take his walks. You know, his his I think he had his walk to strikeout ratio was something like four to one through April, and since then it's four to one the other way. Yeah, which is really scary. Uh, and I keep, I think we all keep waiting for it to turn. It hasn't turned yet. And I don't know if you've noticed this, Craig, but there's been like three or four times where either pregame or postgame when Harper talks, he's talked about home runs in a way that almost makes you think like that's really all he's trying to do is hit home runs. And you kind of see it with the swing when, he, when he's not going well. But I don't know if it's a conscious choice of I'm going to be a free agent and these days that's what gets you the most paid, which is kind of silly because he can do so many things and all those things are going to get you paid. 
But it just seems like somewhere along the line, he's just he's like, all right, I'm just going to try and hit home runs. It's interesting. At the end of April, he had like six intentional walks in six games, mm-hmm. which is kind of like what happened two years ago with that Cubs series in Wrigley, which people thought, oh, that's what ruined him. You know, he might have been injured too. But uh, that kind of got overlooked this year. But I feel like that was the time when it kind of turned for Harper this year. I feel like ever since then, he's been kind of frustrated. Of course, it doesn't help that Eaton wasn't there and Murphy's not there and Zimmerman is not there. So he's trying to do everything by himself. Did I hear today, I was driving in and listening to a show with Lenny Melnick on the Fantasy Channel, and has Bryce Harper said he is going to participate in the Home Run Derby at the All-Star Game? I heard that they were saying that he has said that. I I haven't haven't talked to him personally about that. I know in the past, leading up this year, it seemed like a definite that he was waiting for this year, but then I read something earlier this week where he put some doubt in there. He's like, yeah, you know, I'll have to wait and see. And that was the first I had heard of the doubt. So Yeah, but that, sure. that's that's what I had heard that he said, and that's the first I had heard of the doubt because I figured just with the game being in his home park, uh, you would think the fans would be clamoring to see that. My only problem with that, as we see a lot of times, Ed, is that you take part in that home run derby with the way it's structured and and the amount of energy you, you have to put out, you know, to 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 participate in it or even to win it. Uh, that can sometimes have an effect on what you're trying to do at the plate once that second half of the season starts again. It can, but with all due respect, he looks like someone who is already having that problem. Absolutely. I don't. I don't. I feel like for him, it can. It can. It can only go up from where he is. So, <laughs> so maybe, well, be, maybe if he hits forty or forty-five during that home run derby contest, he gets the second half of the season going. Well, yeah, I'm serious with him, it might have the opposite effect. Apparently, he, he's been contacted by Major League Baseball. I don't see anything on uh-oh. Google that says uh-oh. he's agreed to do it, but he's been contacted to participate in it. We're talking with Ed uh, Matz of ESPN and ESPN.com. Uh, he's here with uh, Craig Heist and I. We're talking a little bit about the Nationals. Let's move over to the flip side of the coin and uh, the Orioles. Um, what, what do you make of what's going on and what you're hearing and what you're feeling? Um, this is pretty new territory for this current group of players. Yeah, my professional opinion, and I've, I've talked to a lot of insiders about this uh, at length in great detail, and I think the conclusion I've come to is that they're not good. <laughs> Thank you for that. That's Thank you, why we have him on, the expert that he exactly. is. It's been great talking to you guys. But, but no, you know what? I got, uh, I got. You, you say that, Ed, but I, at the same time... Please argue that they're good, Craig. No, No, I'm not arguing that they're good, but Stan brought up a point last night on his uh, Facebook Live show uh, after bird watching in that, you know, there's a certain amount of people who, you know, the optimist who felt like this team maybe had a chance to win 90 games. There were the pessimists who thought maybe 70, and then there's the in-between folks, you know. Uh, but I don't think anybody could have foreseen this going as south as it has I mean, you're 68 games into this, and you're 30 games under 500, and you're only one game away from the 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 pace that the 88 team set, which started 0 and 21. Yeah, I think last check they're on pace to finish 67 games out of first place, which would be a record. Yeah, crazy. I'm thinking, but I didn't think they were going to be good. I thought maybe with the Cashner and Cobb additions, I thought maybe 500. Uh, so I I didn't see this coming either. Yeah. 
but it's been, you know, it's my, you know, when they've been good over the last few years, it's been one of those situations where it's a confluence of events that help them exceed their expectations. You know, bullpen, uh, defense, having defense. Some better years, the defense, you know, some, some guys that you didn't expect to get contributions from, you got contributions from. So it was all those things. And this is the flip side, right? Like this is the confluence of negative things, right? So scope gets hurt coming out of the gate. Um, uh, you know, the pitching situation, uh, not that we didn't expect, expect, you know, Tillman to, 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 yeah, to that was, bar. I mean, yeah. but I, I just feel like everything that could go wrong has gone wrong with the exception of Manny. Right. Right. Uh, and even Manny's cooling off now. He's hitting like 240 over the last, I don't know, month or so. So it's just, it's everything that, that can go wrong has gone wrong. And they're playing, you know, they're in a stack division. So they can't, they're not going to sneak by and win, win a couple extra games here and there against the Red Sox and the Yankees anymore. That's not happening. Uh, but so. the sta- the staggering part of it is that, you know, they go into New York to play the Mets. They win. The, the Mets were a very ice-cold team. They were 15-30 and 30 in their last 45. The Orioles beat them, too. We go up to Toronto, where Ooh. Toronto had lost 17 out of 22 games, and they feast on us. Yeah, but okay. they they only beat the Mets by, yeah, I, know. I mean, only two, run, two runs I'm... or three runs scored in those two games. Right. Yeah, I mean, look, they're not they're at their current pace. What is it? They're going to win like forty-five games, I think. Do I think they're going to continue at that pace and, and win only forty-five? No, I think at some point they're going to start to have some things go their way a little bit. I'm not saying they're going to rebound and win seventy games, but I don't think they're going to continue this pace. It, it doesn't seem possible. But you know, I feel like usually what's going to happen, you know, they're going to get rid of some guys at the deadline. Hopefully, right? That's what they should do. Uh, and when they do, they're going to let guys come up, young guys who probably would otherwise have no business being in the majors right now. And usually when that happens, the teams historically that have done that all of a sudden start playing fantastic, right? <laughs> like they'll go like 30 and 15 down the stretch and for, for no good reason other than like they change things up. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them after they unload some guys all of a sudden start playing better. Weird, but that, I feel like that happens all the time. Uh, we're we're facing uh, another uh, interleague series down in uh, Washington the next few days. Uh, is the way the Orioles are playing has taken some of the luster off of this interleague series, hasn't it? It's taken some of the lost luster off of every series. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't matter who <laughs> the opponent is. Right? When's the last time you watched the Orioles series? And you're like, oh, man, can we I was really looking forward to this Marlins series because I thought we'd win. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Way in Shen's back, and yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, it's the the Orioles against the Nationals at this point. Kind of seems like Globetrotters against the Washington Generals. Yeah, right. Yeah, like if, if the if the Orioles manage to win a game, that'll be a shocker. But you never know, like pitching matchups. I, I haven't taken a look at who's going to pitch. I think Scherzer's scheduled to throw in that series, but I'm not I'm not sure who the other two games are. So you know, you get the wrong pitcher on the right night. Orioles control. Watch this. They go sweep. It'll be the reverse lock. It'll sweep Washington. Right. Ed, we, pre- we appreciate your coming on. As always, you're doing a super job covering both teams for ESPN.com, and uh, many thanks. All right, bud? My pleasure, guys. Take T- care. Talk to you soon. One of the there great things about this game, though, is the relationships you make covering and going forward day in and day out. And we're coming out of Don Mattingly's office last yeah. night. 
and we're going into the clubhouse to talk to the players after the game and all of a sudden I hear this voice from the right side say hey where the hell's your credential and I turn around as Brian Schneider the former Nationals yeah, catcher I him. <laughs> sure Hey, uh, we're going to be joined in just a moment by Joe Shuda of TwoMinuteTO.com. We're going to talk about the passing of Bruce Keeson. Uh, and uh, uh, Joe goes back covering Bruce a long time uh, when he was with the Pittsburgh Pirates. But right now, I want to tell you about how we're celebrating all things Maryland when the Baltimore Brigade take on the Albany Empire Saturday, June 23rd at Royal Farms Arena for Maryland Pride Night. Enjoy fun for the whole family, including our post-game field party when you can meet the entire brigade team. Get yourself in the game for as low as $14 when you visit BaltimoreBrigade.com today. Rory's Story Cubes is the original that started the Story Cube movement and inspired creativity and storytelling across the globe. And they come with every Chick-fil-A kids meal at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. Chick-fil-A kids meals are all around $5, including the kids' chicken strips, kids' nuggets, and kids' grilled nuggets. Text the family right now and announce that it's Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square tonight. That's at 5198 Campbell Boulevard in Nottingham. Tell them that Glenn and Kyle said hi. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Kevin Ack profiles former Oriole Ben McDonald, who's gone from a somewhat disappointing career as a pitcher to being a beloved figure in the broadcast booth. Plus, a recap of Ozzie Newsom's final NFL draft and more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KOO from the PressBox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer, the, the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College, College football. football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. Get sizzling summer savings on a huge selection of new Mitsubishis this month at Jerry's. Are you shopping SUVs? Then you owe it to yourself to check out a Mitsubishi Outlander or the new Eclipse Cross at Jerry's, both with 0% financing available, plus no payments until September. Or drive off in a new Mitsubishi Mirage from Jerry's for as low as $9,100. Plus, every new Mitsubishi comes with Jerry's exclusive extended service care. Visit Jerry's Mitsubishi today on Joppa Road and online at jerrysmitsubishi.com special financing with approved credit sale ends 63018 right, we are back on the show on the bat around stand the fan along with Craig Heist and joining us right now 
is somebody I got to know about three years ago down in Bradenton, Florida, and we've kept in touch uh, when uh, the spirit moves us. And uh, the passing of Bruce Keeson gave us a reason to reconnect. And I'm joined now by Joe Shuda of TwoMinuteTO.com. Joe, how are you, my friend? Good morning. Good. Great to talk to you again. Yeah, you're on with myself and Craig Heist. So, uh, how you doing, Joe? Hey, Craig, how are you? Good. Beautiful day here in Central PA. Hard to believe. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've gotten to know Bruce Keeson over the last like, 10 years or so because he's been uh, uh, maybe 15 years as he was a pitching coach for the Orioles. He's been a scout, advanced scout, and now we get the sad news uh, two weeks ago that he passed away at the age of, what, just 68 years old, Joe? Yes, 68. As a matter of fact, right at this moment, there's a service being held in Bradenton, Florida. And uh, this week I spoke to some of his former teammates. As a matter of fact, uh, Jim Rooker, Steve Nicosia, Phil Garner, and um, Rooker and Nicosia are currently at that service, and a lot of other guys are expected to be there. What was was sort of the consensus thought about Bruce Keeson, the person, when you talk to these people? Well, well, the thing, first of all, is if, if those of us in the media, in dealings with him, he, he was as blunt and business-like as his approach to pitching. Uh, Bruce was not, was not a no-nonsense he's a no nonsense kind of guy. He wasn't one of these guys you'd probably walk up to and just uh, chit-chat with him. Right. And uh, he was very business-like, very analytical. And when I spoke to Jim Rooker the other day, who was probably his, his best friend, uh, told me the fact that uh, he would just, during games, just analyze everything. And he also felt, as you probably know as an Oriole fan, uh, that the inside and outside of the plate belonged to him. Yeah, and, you know, I, I saw or I actually heard a story coming in, uh, driving in this morning, where uh, he had told uh, uh, somebody within baseball that there was a game where he had hit Seven people in one game in the minor league. <laughs> and would he brag and, about and, that? And that's one of the things he did. He said, you know, he said, I wasn't backing down from anybody. <laughs> no, absolutely. Matter of fact, Jim Rucker told me that uh, uh, several times he would say, okay, looks like tomorrow we're going to play dodgeball. Right, exactly. Hey, uh, Joe, one of the things um, you pointed out to me, uh, and you 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 put it on one of your two-minute TOs, um, two-minute timeouts, was he almost wore he almost wore as a badge of honor the fact that he wasn't one of the baseball privileged that were kind of spoon-fed getting to the major leagues, that, that going through the hard knocks of getting there uh, toughened him, and, and it was a difference for him, wasn't it? Absolutely, and uh, you know when you say old school, everyone says, "Well, this guy's old school." No, Bruce Keeson was old school, and he just felt that anyone who disrespected the game, he really had no time for them. Um, you know, and by the way, you guys probably all saw the uh, picture about the time Mike Schmidt charged the mound. Mm-hmm. Well, what's interesting that Jim Rooker told me that maybe very few people know is that. After the game, now Bruce was not thrown out. Mike Schmidt was thrown out of the game for that. After the game, Bruce Keeson by himself went to the Phillies clubhouse. Imagine this. Not with an entourage. Right. Went in, walked up to Mike Schmidt and said, you know, this is just the way it goes. 
but you know, I really respect you for what you did for coming out at me. And that was it. Imagine that walking that in by pretty... himself. He didn't tell anybody he was doing that. He went over and did it himself. That that is an amazing. That's, and that's, that's an amazing story. That is something you would never see in today's game for sure. No, absolutely. One and of the then, uh, Steve Steve the coach had told me one time in Houston, uh, same situation happened. He hit the uh, matter of fact, Craig Reynolds. The next day was the first batter hit him. The following day at the batting cage, Bruce went up and said, uh, Craig, uh, you're just a victim of circumstance. <laughs> That's exactly, well, you know what? As an Oriole, as a guy grew up rooting for the Orioles, uh, he was always a thorn in my side. Until, well, because of those World uh, Series. Of, of the two World Series, 71 and 79. And the one in 79, I remember even more so because he played such a valuable role uh, in that World Series for the Pirates and, and enabled them really to one of the main reasons that they were able to come back from 3-1 down and beat the Orioles. No, absolutely. A lot of injuries during his career. And after he left the Pirates and went to the Angels, the free agent had a lot of difficulties, a lot of injuries, didn't pitch well, offered to give his money back, Buzzy Babasi of the Angels. This was, this was not one of those stories like, I think I'll give my money back. He offered to give the money back that he is signing bonus, and it was refused. But th that was not grandstanding on his behalf. He actually wanted to do that, felt he didn't deserve the money. We're talking with Joe Shuda of Two Minute Timeout, and you can uh, hear his terrific features on twominutetoe.com. Uh, Joe, the, the thing about Bruce, and I remember some odd trivia, like the first player to ever hit a home run in the Astrodome, was Mickey Mantle, uh, the, the home run that sailed uh, Bill Mazeroski's home run in the 1960 World Series, sailed over the head of Yogi Berra. Uh, I remember that at forever, Bruce Keeson will have been the starting pitcher in the first night game in World Series baseball history. Yeah, game, game four in 71, yep. yep. Well, actually, guys, Luke Walker was a starter. He didn't pitch well. The Pirates are losing 3 nothing. And then You're Bruce right. He was the in. winning pitch. He was the winning pitcher in the first night right. game. Right. Okay. Exactly. Right. He, was, he was the winning pitcher. Absolutely. Let, let, let me tell you another another story. See how about I remembered Bruce. all those trivia. Now I got to go back and study those things. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Let me tell you another story. He he. When I interviewed him and I introduced myself, and at the end of it, he said, "You're from Altoona, the Altoona Curve." He said, "Let me tell you a story." One time I was scouting up there, and he said, I called them, he said, uh, and I had the, you know, the pass to, to be able to get in, and he said, somebody from the curb told people I was coming, and the people were coming up asking for autographs. He said, that really irritates me. I was there to work as a scout, not to sign autographs. Yeah. He had uh, an interesting uh, part, part of what you sent me, and I don't know if it was specifically part of one of your two-minute TOs, was about his attitude toward autographs, that he had no problem giving fans that genuinely wanted his autograph, his autograph, as opposed to those that he had a sense that were coming up with five baseballs that were going to sell those baseballs. Yeah. Yeah. Another story, uh, Jim Rucker told me they would uh, annually go to a golf tournament, which was in Wilmington, um, North Carolina, and they would ride together. And Bruce said, they want me to write a book. And apparently people got together, asked him to write a book about pitching. 
And Jim said, great idea, because he was very analytical. And Bruce said, why would I write something that would teach somebody something when they should learn it on their own? I'm not doing it. Wow. Wow. How about that? He, he, was, a rare, he was a rare bird, and I know the Orioles were very uh, fond of him, and I know they're quite you know, upset that they've lost one of, one of the people they consider their own of most recent vintage. Um, he's 68 years of age. Do, do you know, did you know him well enough to know why he retired at that, that young an age? No, I really didn't. Jim told me that he just got to the point at 68 where he wanted to spend just, you know, more time. You know, he, loved, he loved the fish. Uh, you know, a, a private individual, again, as I said, that uh, I think he just felt that was enough time in baseball because he really spent about 50 years in baseball. So, no, I really don't know that. I promised those guys, uh, Rooker and the kosher, that I'm going to talk to them next week again, Phil Garner, uh, about him a little more. As a matter of fact, Jim Rooker, one of the things he told me about, and I guess I'm patting myself on the back about the two-minute timeout, was that his wife was looking up some things online and found that, and several guys uh, called me and said that you know they, they were crying listening to that, because that was Bruce. Yeah. You know, that was Bruce 100%. Uh, you know, these guys today don't respect the game and the whole thing about autographs and whatever. And uh, so it, it, it's really, it is sad that somebody retired in December and had passed away within six months. And I, and I think, I think really that a lot of people don't understand just, you know, you mentioned Bruce Keeson's name, just how good a pitcher he was. I mean, 115 and 88 lifetime and a three, six, six ERA lifetime. And that, that plays at the major league level. <laughs> he was, yeah. He and was, once he, again, you know, I asked Jim Rooker, I said, well, when he said that I own the inside and outside of the plate, I mean, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense. He said, yeah, but that's that was his attitude. And I guess that, you know, all of us in life, if we feel that, uh, you know, this is my right and uh, this is what I'm going to do, and that was Bruce's attitude. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's also it's also kind of a, a – a, um, what am I trying to say? It's kind of like a mantra that if it really – what it's really saying is if I can own that inside by scaring you – I'm going to own the outside. And he was an intimidator. Uh, he might not have looked like the most intimidating guy, but the way he came at you, a little three-quarter to sidearm, he, he really could control both sides of the plate. He's one of those unique guys. When it came to, uh, you know, brushing guys back, uh, he told somebody one time, you know, if you can't uh, taste your own blood once in a while, you're not a man. <laughs> wow wow yeah that's that's a good uh, I, I, joe i love the story the mike schmidt story was a, a terrific story uh, uh, well really the, the, the thing jim rooker told me that is that someone came to him and said you're not going to believe this where bruce keeson is right now and he said what do you mean where he is he said he went over to the phillies clubhouse and he said in about a minute or two, he said, guys, you know what happened? And then Bruce, here comes Bruce back into the Pirates Clubhouse. So, you know, guys were thinking, you know, he's in trouble going over there. But he, he did it and came back. Never ask anybody for any help. That would make a good two-minute T.O. for you to try and call the Phillies and see if you get in touch with Schmidt to talk about that. That's a very cool story. Very cool story. And, and you know what happened, by the way, when he hit Schmidt, Schmidt stepped out of the box and said, next time that happens, I'm coming out there. And Bruce said, why wait? <laughs> well, I know one thing. I, I got to know him a little bit while working with the Orioles, but 
uh, to this day, I can't stand We Are Family, you know, the song, <laughs> and uh, the whole nine yards that went with that. And I was, uh, I was a little guy when uh, uh, the Pirates won in seven games and two to one in that final game at Memorial Stadium uh, back in 71. But 79 is the one that sticks in my craw uh, a little bit with a 3-1 lead, and uh, he was a very instrumental part of that team. No question about it. Hey, so, so what are we saying, guys? We're saying that the the Pirates versus the Orioles, the Pirates are the hammer and the Orioles are the nail? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much, Pretty yeah. much. We can't argue with well, that. And, and the reason 79 sticks with me so much is the fact that the Orioles had a 3-1 lead with Game 5 in Pittsburgh, Mike Flanagan, Game 6 in Baltimore, Palmer. Jim Palmer, and, and then Scott McGregor yeah. in, in Game yeah. 7, right? Yeah, I was at the uh, 79 World Series. I went to a game of the 71 Series in Baltimore, but I went to, to the Friday night and the Saturday game in Pittsburgh in 79 and had tickets for the Sunday game. And my buddy and I, Steve Fetter and I said, do, do we want to go to this game or do we want to drive back and be in Baltimore to celebrate on the streets of Baltimore tonight? And we drove back about 9 o'clock in the morning to watch that game, which I think started, wasn't that a late afternoon game? I don't know, but yeah, jo- like- J- Joe, this explains everything to me now as to why the Orioles lost that series. Yeah, I jinxed them. Of jinxed course, the I jinxed hell them. Out of them. <laughs> hey, Joe, many thanks for coming on to share some thoughts and remembrances about uh, a really good guy uh, that, that went too soon, Bruce Keeson. Thank you, Joe. And anytime, guys. Thank All you. All right, thank you. I really like Joe Shute. He does a good job. So you were the reason. Yeah. You were the yeah, reason. I jinxed. I jinxed All these years, you jinxed, were the reason. I jinxed him. I jinxed him. Unbelievable. All right. Are we gonna make our, we're going to make our connection now. Our next guest, and Craig, this is going to be your favorite part of the show. That's right. If it, if it gets you uh, off camera, yeah, there, there you go. There we go. Uh, the book is St. Louis Browns, The Story of a Beloved Team. Uh, and this book, uh, we've had Ed Wheatley on a couple times, uh, but this story got some really good publicity this week from compliments of Gary Thorne of MassInSports.com. Right. And, and this book is a nice foreword by Bob Costas in it. Uh, and of course, everybody knows Bob Costas with uh, and his knowledge of the game. Who's of he baseball. with? <laughs> NBC? And, and no, the Major League Baseball Channel. Yeah. Uh, uh, but the, the the whole idea that you know, with his history of the game and his knowledge of the game, and his knowledge of St. Louis sports history. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, I really would recommend everybody kind of go out and grab this book because it gives you a little bit. Don't of Don't you a, grab it? You're not grabbing it well, and getting I was a copy of it. I could get out of here. Yeah, with it. you're not getting out of here. Five with finger it. discount. <laughs> Joining us right now is one of the authors of the book, St. Louis Brown's The Story of a Beloved Team, and that's our friend Ed Wheatley. Ed, how are you, my friend? Oh, having a ball. Everything's good. It's a little hot here in St. Louis and humid. Is, well, that's how we play ball here. Yeah, it's summertime in the city. Uh, you're on yep. with uh, Stan, which you know, but Craig Heist is yep. with us. First of all, how did you snag uh, Bob Costas to do the forward to the book? Well, you know, Bob, as I heard you speak in a minute, he's got a lot of St. Louis roots. He was here a long time with uh, KMOX, the, the big affiliate, sports affiliate here in St. Louis. And he's done a lot of things with us for the St. Louis Browns uh, fan club, historical society. And it, it just kind of seemed natural. He had done some some little videos and different um, thing promotions for us in the past. And he, I mean, he just was a natural player for us. So uh, it, it turned out real well. 
Well, we've had you on the show a couple times to talk mm-hmm. about the book, and uh, we know yeah. you've been appreciative of that. Uh, your friend Barry Blank, who's a friend of mine, yep. we got the yeah. book in the hands of three, four weeks ago of Gary Thorne, and right. uh, the book has gotten some tremendous publicity via Gary Thorne and MassInSports.com. Uh, have you seen yeah. any uptick in interest in the book? Yeah, I mean, you know, I saw his podcast. But he gave a great uh, uh, acclamation for the book. Uh, we're seeing, you know, this is really becoming kind of a, a national thing. Not only guys like Gary, you know, finally seeing the book. Are, we, we made the film for PBS um, that just has blown markets away here in the Midwest, and we're trying to get it across the nation. Uh, John Hamm, by the way, was our uh, our baseball partner on that one. Uh, he's a big baseball fanatic here in St. Louis, and uh, you'll see him a lot of times, even wearing a Browns hat at events. So, but no, people are they're really kind of coming to the story that you know the Browns were more than lovable losers. They were they they had some unique histories, and they also had some great players. And the more we we speak about it, uh, whether it's on radio shows like yours or we have book events that you know people are coming to realize you know the Browns had some really good ball players, a good team, and it's just a shame that they're not uh, remembered or recognized more than they are. And that's that was the purpose of the book to get that out there. And uh, mission accomplished. You know, one well, of the it's, things it's, it's an ongoing mission. You know, yeah. Now we're <laughs> it, trying it, to get. It, it's a right. it, if I if I hear the name Los Angeles Dodgers, I know it, it goes back to Brooklyn and the dodging streetcars. If I hear the right. Indians, I know what the name means. I, both in football and in baseball, what is a what is a brown? In other words, well, is it the little elfin figurine that you saw with the Cleveland Browns, or is it just the acknowledgement of a color? Well, actually, it all really starts with. Um, Baseball is it was evolving in the years, you know, eighteen seventy six. The National League comes in into play, but even before that, there were all these club baseballs. And when baseball started first playing, there was a team, an American Association team in St. Louis called the Brown Stockings. And okay. all of baseball, if you think back at all these original teams, you know, a lot of teams' names were driven by their socks. Socks, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, even you know, you spoke of the Indians; they were the Blues, right? The, their first names. You had the Red Legs, the, the the White Sox, the Red Sox, and actually, this this American Association team was uh, owned by Chris Vonderai, and it was a it was a uh, a great team. They actually won three World Championships in this league in the late 1880s, and, and our buddy Barry has one of the trophies of one of those wins sitting in his house, but. As the team then transitioned in 1892 to become the St. Louis Cardinals and join the National League team, people forget the Cardinals in the first year they played, they were called the St. Louis Browns, and then they changed their name the next couple years to the Perfectos. And as they were changing their names, they changed from a, a brown to more of a brick red sock, and then it went to a red sock, and one of the big sports writers at that time, heard a lady say, isn't that a lovely shade of Cardinal Red? And hence he started calling them Cardinals, and that is, is to where we are now. So when the Browns came into the American League in 1902, one year after the team was formed, uh, after the league was formed, and the team was moved from the Milwaukee Brewers to St. Louis, they took the name of the Browns 
to honor uh, that previous history of the St. Louis Brown stockings. I appreciate your I appreciate your taking the time to explain that. I know I asked the question, but you did yeah. a great job at explaining it, really. Yeah, well, and it, it had nothing to do with the elf. The elf that people see and remember from the Browns was just the last couple years of Bill Vec. For a long time, previously, they had what I always say is the most iconic logo in baseball because it had the King Louis IX statue that sits in Forest Park for all the years. Right. Eight stars on it for the eight teams in the American League, the nine bars for the nine players. You know, so it really had a story and a story. But that's the long time logo of the Browns um, until Bill Vec changed it in the fifty. A, qu- a question: If you're a, a, a Cleveland Browns fan, you probably hate mm-hmm. Art Modell. If you're a uh, Los Angeles, a Brooklyn Dodger fan, you hate Walter O'Malley. Do St. Louis Brown fans have the same affection? for Bill Veck that a lot of other people in baseball do, or do they hate Bill Veck? You know, it's, it, it was, it's a really strange thing, and it was really hard to write about Bill Veck, and, you know, we've talked to his son and, and, and everything. I mean, Bill Veck, you got to remember, he was with the Indians in 48, takes him to the World sure. Series, and he, then he has to leave that team. He got into some marital problems and had, you know, divested himself of the Indians, but he came to St. Louis thinking this perfect storm, the Cardinals – um, lease the stadium that the Browns own, and he's going to kick him out. Cardinals are thinking they're going to Houston, and their owner is going to go to jail for tax evasion. So he thinks he's got this perfect storm. He can win over St. Louis. So he really tries, but he doesn't have good players, so he does stunts. You know, he brings a ba- uh, ba- basketball court on the second base, and the Harlem Globetrotters will have games. So come see the Browns play and the Harlem Globetrotters. Mm-hmm. He would bring circus acts in, you know, camels, elephants, you know, flying trapeze. And so come to watch the Browns and watch a game. And then he pulled the stunts with Eddie Goodell and grandstand manager and got the ire of um, St. Louis and then the, the, the mm-hmm. Major League Baseball. But he really – he would walk around the stadium and go, hey, kiddo, let me buy you, you know – Peanuts, and he would sit with people and talk to them. He would buy people beer, and when the Browns were on the road, he spent his whole time going out into the community. I mean, he so, really I mean, it's, tried. A, it's, it's a mixed bag, are the feelings about Bill Vec in St. Louis. Now, the people, when he left, the people, the fans really um, disliked him. But when I talked to guys like Don Larson, Eddie Mickelson, you know, when, when they come to our annual luncheon, we're having one next month. They speak highly of Vec, and then I'll ask him. But you know, what about the animosity? They just, they will be very complimentary uh, of of Bill Bill Vec still. You know, sixty five years later. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when I'm asked um, you know, over the years, well, who would you most like to have a beer with? Bill Vec has always been at the top of my list of people in the game Ooh. of baseball. And it's interesting when I talk to you, I have the. Th- thought process comes in about, well, was he considered as big a carpetbagger as Robert Earsay or the way Cleveland not, feels about Art Modell? And it sounds like it's a little bit of a mixed bag in St. Louis. I, I think it is a mixed bag, and I think you've got to extend the history for Bill Vec and say, okay, they, the owners forced him out of baseball and forced him to sell to Baltimore. You know, he couldn't – he had an idea he would move him, and baseball said, no, you're out. But remember, baseball lets him back in 
He joins. He owns the White Sox. Takes him to the '59 World Series, but then he starts his shenanigans again. Remember Disco Night in Chicago? Remember he had the White Sox wear sharks? Remember all those? Yeah, yeah. You know, he, so, he, Stan. Stan always wanted to have a beer with Bill Vec. I wanted to have one with Eddie Goodell. <laughs> <laughs> well, the guy you want to have a beer with is Whitey Herzog. He's got all the stories. Whitey and I have talked about. You know, him and Don Larson, you give those two guys in the room and you just sit back for three hours and don't say a word and laugh the whole yeah. three hours. But, you know, you talk to Whitey, will call. And I asked him to compare Charlie Finley and Bill Veck. Were they both men ahead of the time? Did they know? You know, and a lot of this goes back, as I said earlier, Veck was trying. He thought he could run the Cardinals out of town. He had this perfect storm. A guy named August Bush steps in and, you know, uh, raised his eagle wings and, you know, with his beer industry, uh, took over the Cardinals and changed everything and said, I'm not leaving. Um, but, I mean, he really tried. You know, and a good example, this is probably my, one of my favorite examples, and we talk about it in the book a lot, and we talk about it in the movie. Every child who was born in the years Vec owned the Browns, they got a letter personally signed by Vec. He had a he had made up this little poem about being welcome, baby so and so, to the town, and you know we want you to be a Browns fan and all that. And here's two passes to bring your parents to a game. And if you were a boy born in the same period, you got a second letter. It was an invitation to spring training in 18 years to try out That's for the Browns. Great. That's great. So hey. I mean, see, those are the things. The antagonism he moved. I mean, you know, yep. in St. Louis. You talk about your guys up there. We got Stan Kroenke in the St. Louis football sure. uh, Rams movement to Los Angeles, you know. And you see that parallels many times written about Vec and Stan Kroenke here. But the, the, if you really study him, you saw how much he tried. I mean, he, he actually built an apartment and lived in Sportsman's Park because he was working 24 hours a day. What's what's at the site of uh, where Sportsman's Park was today? What's there now? It's a, it's a, it's a inner-city... It's called the Herbert Hoover's Boys Club, right? And it's the, the field still remains there, and it's a it's a boys club, uh, athletic, you know, for the inner city, helping that community yep. kind of community relations, um, and you know, many events are still played there. You go, and I mean, I, I was just down there last month talking to them about doing some research, and it, you know, it, it just brings back memories of all the times, you know. I was there at, at Sportsman's Park as a young kid, and it, 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 it is still there, and you can go visit the field. The field is there, but now it's you know used for all kinds of sports. Well, and they built building. We're gonna but, we're gonna urge folks that uh, heard this interview to go to Google and uh, type in "hitting the books with Gary Thorne." You can read his written review, uh, and it'll also come up uh, his uh, sort of um, video essay about the book it's two minutes 22 seconds the book is the st louis browns the story of a beloved team it's uh from reedy press r-e-e-d-y uh ed we continue to wish you luck getting the word yeah. out about the st louis browns hey hey can i ask you one question sure hey how, what's bald you know i was i was reading the paper today sports page and i noticed you know today the orioles are sitting at a Point two seven nine winning percentage. Yes, and ironically, that same percentage was when the Browns had their worst team in nineteen thirty nine, 
when they lost 111 games and won um, 43. The Orioles they, are trying they, their best. They're trying their best right now well, to beat that record. Yeah, the Browns were 64 and a half games out of first place that year. Wow. So I hope the Orioles don't break that record. You uh, should you should come east. It's been a ton of fun. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, Ed, we'll have you on again around the holidays, yeah. all right? Thank you, buddy. All right, appreciate it. it. All, right. all right, there Say you bye. go. Ed Wheatley, one of the authors of the book, and I'm holding it up. If you're wondering why I'm holding it up so many times, it's just to give uh, Brittany Everett and Craig Heiss something to smile about. Absolutely. Anytime I'm not on camera. Exactly. You know. Uh, what's what's great about this too is the fact that you get a little insight uh, as far as what the fan base is like. Fans that used to root for this team, yep. And according to Ed, obviously there's still a, you know few of them still around. There's still a few and, of them around. And uh, you know to to hear some of the stories and it's really neat. I'm gonna keep the book over here so I get out of here with the book. All right, good enough. Uh, right now, I want to tell folks about Big Bats. That's right. We had Steve Garland on, the owner, one of our favorite people in the game of baseball, in the game of uh, food. bar ownership and food. <laughs> Let's talk about Ken Island's original sports bar, located 216 St. Clair Place, Stevensville, Maryland. On the way down from Baltimore, you cross the Bay Bridge, and it's the first exit off the bridge, Stevensville. You come up to the stop sign, make a left, go down about a quarter of a mile. It's a little piece of baseball and sports heaven. Uh, there's no place better to stop, relax, and eat. Great place to watch the O's, the Nats during their seasons, the Wizards, the Caps, University of Maryland, basketball and football, lacrosse. And you can sample some of the best bar grub around, sandwiches, salads, soups, and subs, all there for you at Big Bats. Craig? There are sports theme rooms in that place, baseball yep. theme rooms, yep. that you can go and take a look at and see all the memorabilia. It's a great place to go eat. Thank and, you for adding that. Yeah, it, it really is. And uh, we're glad we know Steve, and he's a big, he lives and dies with the Orioles. So, um Onward and up. He's dying a lot. He's dying a lot this summer. All right. Um, uh, Craig, you were able to uh, sit in on one of Buck Showalter's uh, chats uh, most recently. I think it was yesterday. Yeah. And uh, there's been some, there's been some, we're hearing different stories going around uh, about 10 days ago. There was talk that Chris Davis wanted to sit out another game. Then Buck Showalter came out the after the game and said it was a manager's decision. I think there's a little clarity right now to that. Should we listen to what Buck had to say? Or well, yeah, wanna... but let's let's just put it in in some kind of perspective here. I mean, everybody knows Chris Davis is struggling, has been struggling uh, for the last two years essentially. But I, I don't think really, Stan, he has struggled more. Uh, at any one point, and he has struggled this year. No, uh, one whole different level of frustration. Right, it's it's one fifty as far as batting average. He's got only four home runs. Uh, yesterday, when we found out he wasn't going to be in the lineup, you know, Buck uh, talked about giving him a break, letting him work on some things, and uh, to see kind of where this goes. He wouldn't necessarily say it's a benching, but obviously the writing is certainly on the wall. Uh, when you see somebody not in the lineup and you're having the kind of numbers and the kind of year that he is having. So that said, uh, they're giving Chris a break. Uh, we we saw Joseph play first base last night. We'll see how that goes with Mancini and who they decide to put in the outfield if Mancini plays first base a little bit here. But in talking to Buck, 
some of the reasons for this and also how long it may last. Chris is uh, continuing with some things that uh, he's working on. And uh, when they come to me and say they think he's ready to, to get back in the lineup, I'll put him back in there, but it's nothing uh, imminent. When you say we, I'm not going to get into all that. I just say when 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 they and and we feel like Chris is ready to, uh, I sh- you know, they and we, they're off. But I'm not in the cages working with him every day, you know. But when they get through, when they think that he's ready to to uh, play, he'll play, and you know we'll sit down and talk about it. And I talked to Chris before I came down here just to let him know in case you guys ask him what what's uh, the approach is, and he already knew that before today. But he's, he was soaking wet when I was talking to him. He's working on some things, and uh, you know they'll let me know the time and you know, when it's when it's time. To, to clarify, Chris, so this is is this open ended in a way that it could be a week or two, or just when you start? Well, I don't think it'll be that long. I don't think it'll be that long. You know, heck, I hope it's uh, tomorrow. I hope it's day after tomorrow. You know, I just tell you it's not today, and there's no closed in on it, but. I'm hoping it's sooner rather than later. I'd love to get back Chris Davis that we all know that he's capable of. But it hadn't been there this year. But you know, uh, you know, with an approach, you know, kind of a new approach and some new things that you're trying. You know, on, all of a sudden you you do it. This is not something you're going to do one day and work out, and then it's going to all pop in one night. You know, that's you know, if that was a case. It would have happened a long time ago. So this is something you got to give a little time to and, and know that when you get into a game and you don't hit a line drive over the center fielder's head the first swing you take, that you don't throw everything out. If you're looking for instant return on stuff, this game doesn't allow that. Yeah, and it doesn't, and it is a work in progress, and this is something that I think at this point, Stan, that Chris Davis just kind of has to figure out himself with the help of Scott Coolball, and I don't know whether that is necessarily going to happen uh, we heard the comments a few weeks ago from Jim Palmer about adjustments and things of that nature. Uh, I don't know whether Chris is already – I think that was something necessarily that Chris had to hear, really, coming from a Hall of Famer and coming from a guy who's pitched to hitters before, obviously. But this is this is something that I think Chris needed to hear from Palmer. And uh, I know there was a big brouhaha about all of what was said and how Chris took it, but – at some point, it does fall on the hitter, and I think this does fall on Chris, and I think you've been in that clubhouse, I've been in that clubhouse. I think we all know what kind of person Chris Davis is, uh, you know, on the surface. And, yeah. and, and I mean, you, you kind of root for a guy like this, especially when you've got 33 homers, 47 homers, 53 homers, and you know what he's produced in the past. Listen, you, you could hear the pain in Buck Buck. Yeah, can, cannot stand. The one thing he can't stand is delving into negative areas, okay? And there's nothing positive about the Chris Davis scenario or right Or throwing now. players under a bus. No, he yeah. does not want to throw a player under the bus. So he, it was painstaking the way he talked, and it was painful to listen to him, how he talked about a guy that for some of us, it's easy to say, he stinks right now. Right, okay? and, and but, that's the whole thing. But, but here's, the, here's the rub. This is a guy who, when they first got him from Texas, came here, he played 31 games in 2011. 2012, he gets a, a real shot 
at being a regular player. Hits 270, 33 home runs, 85 runs batted in. Next year, and by the way, on base percentage, 326. Mm-hmm. Next year, 53 home runs, 138 RBIs, hits 286, OPB up to 370. The next season, he drops down to 196 with 26 homers, 72 RBIs, 300 on base percentage. But he bounces back the next year where he's playing for his next contract. And that was, by the way, that was the year where he hadn't gotten permission to use the Adderall. Right. Okay. And that as a result, team. as a result, he misses the last part of the season and he isn't eligible uh, to come back in the postseason unless the Orioles would have made the World Series uh, if they had beaten Kansas City. Right. Now that uh, now that's been changed altogether now, right? Like uh, Robinson Cano, he cannot play no, right, in the postseason. Exactly. So then he comes <clears throat> back in the season where he supposedly is back on his his drug that he prescription drug that he takes for adult attention deficit disorder. Hits 47 home runs, knocks in 117 runs, bats 262, 361 on base percentage. Now he comes back after signing the contract. He hits 38 home runs, 84 runs batted in, 221 average, 332 on base percentage. The Orioles right now would kill to have that Chris Davis. Oh, absolutely. But then last year, he went dropped. The average dropped to 215. The on-base percentage dropped to 309. The home runs dropped from 38 to 26. And the RBIs went from 84 to 61. He has kind of the heartfelt talk with the media at the end of the season, 2017. Says he's going to work his tail off, going to work on things, going home. We're going to work with Scott Coolball, get this thing right. And so far this year, the batting average is down to 150. The on-base percentage is 227. The home runs are 4 and 15. I think Joey Rickard has as many home runs as Chris Davis mm-hmm. has. Uh, this thing has gone from bad to worse. There's talk, you know, when you Google Chris Davis, that this could be the worst major league season ever by a regular. I think the Orioles are trying to ensure that that doesn't happen by making him an irregular regular. I think so, and you know we are. Some people talk about two weeks ago how you're you're looking at certainly maybe a platoon situation, yeah. you know, with Mancini and Davis. So those being the two primary guys, uh, but you know it's bad when they try and get you to be the third part of a platoon. Third part, of it, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, this is just something that I don't know. Everybody talks about the contract and things of that nature. Well, when you have the years that he put up that you you know the 33 the 47 the 53 uh he, he that's what gets you the big contract that's what gets you the big contract and he earned that contract and i want to rem- i want to remind everybody and and i know people are going to blast me for it but these these people who are yelling about cutting him and getting rid of him and it's the worst contract in the history of the club and blah 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 these these are the same people Stan, who said that they'll never sign him, they'll never spend the money to keep right. him, you know, and 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 then all of a sudden, Listen. and it wasn't only Chris Davis, it was Mike Bordick at the time, or I'm sorry, not Mike Bordick, but J.J. Hardy at the time, and a few Matt other Wieters, guys, Matt Wieters, Wieters right, yep. 
And they went out and spent the money. So, I mean. You, you know, the, the thing is, you look at a guy like Chris Davis, you know what an incredible athlete he was probably from junior high to high school. He has probably never faced this kind of adversity, cr- yeah. adversity and the pain that comes with it. And the, the flip side of that is knowing that you're letting your teammates down, the fans down. It's all weighed. I'm not trying to pull out the violins and no, get people to feel sorry for him. But as I but said to I you think earlier. that's what's playing on his head. Right. And as I said to you earlier, that probably getting to know this guy over the course yeah. of the last five, six years, that's the thing that probably irritates him and frustrates him more than anything. Well, I, I've written about it, and I think it's all, you know, I don't know what new approach they're working on. But to me, the problem has existed from the science. Between the, day the years, the ink, yeah. The, way the, the day the ink dried on that contract, something changed, and it's called the expectations of carrying a team, hearing that you're the highest-paid player in the history of the franchise. You know, I look back on it now, and I think Buck's attempt to have him bat leadoff was actually a brilliant attempt to sort of take the pressure off of him mm-hmm. by sort of saying, hey, just go out there, get on base, get some hits, right. do what we need you to do. And it backfired, and the thing has really spiraled, spiraled out, of out of control. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good way to put it. And it's a shame. It really is. And I think with everything else that's gone on with this team this year, that becomes more magnified what's going on with him. The piece that I wrote about three months ago about this is, or four months ago, was I compared it very much to like Steve Blass, who suddenly mm-hmm. couldn't throw a strike over the plate. Steve Sachs, who couldn't throw from first base to uh, from second base to first base. Um, who was the catcher? Uh, the Mets catcher Barry was it Barry Lyons who couldn't throw. There was a catcher. No, it was Mickey Sa- Mackie Sasser. Mackie Sasser. And couldn't Ch- throw the ball back. Chuck uh, Knobloch. Chuck Knobloch. Rick Ann Keel suddenly right. couldn't. Uh, this has got to be up there, in my opinion. And I, I know golf is a sport that they talk about the yips, where suddenly, like, David Duvall went from being the greatest player. Six months later, he was out of the top 100, you mm-hmm. know, and never really resurfaced. Um I don't think that Chris Davis is going to resurface in any meaningful way, shape, or form. But it's awfully well, man, hard. It's awfully hard to have a team eat at this point with four years left on a contract of this magnitude right. to just say, "Well, let's eat the contract." They're they're going to exhaust a lot of effort to try and get him right. Right, absolutely, and I and I think uh, I I kind of disagree with you in the sense You're that entitled I, to. I don't think that. He won't resurface again. Yeah. But if it's not here, it could be some somewhere I else. Meant, and I, I meant yeah. in a Baltimore Oriole yeah. uniform. Yeah, it could, in any it could very well way. be. Yeah. yeah, and that's the kill. Let me tell you something. You think it's bad now for the ball club? <clears throat> Suppose all of a sudden they say next July they release him, and then in 2020 he hits 30 home runs, hits 280 for the Oakland A's. Yeah who don't have to pay him more than $700,000. So. Well, that'll be more that'll be more conspiracy fodder for right. for talk show call-in people and fans who want to say everybody that leaves the Orioles goes and right. plays right. well right. somewhere right. else. Right. Well, I I will tell you this. I am one of those people and it would have been easy for me cuz I don't have quite the platform I had back in the days when I was, you know, one all the time on on the real radio, but it would have been easy for me to sort of say 
I knew they shouldn't have signed him. I wanted the Orioles to sign. Oh, I did too. Chris There's Davis. no question. I thought that. he was and eminently. And here's the other part about that. Almost everybody else out there felt the same way. Felt the same yeah. way. And these are the same folks that are saying it's the worst contract, blah, blah, blah. Now, if you ask yeah. me, well, would you have wanted <clears> them to sign him to seven years and 161, I probably would have said five or six years at 110 would have been more to my liking. But it's, it is what it is now, as Brian Billick used to yeah. say. Um, and it's just a, it's a very painful thing to watch for him and for his teammates who listen we all played sports you had guys on your teams right right that, that you're on base and you need one run to win the game and you're going oh geez whiz craig heist is up you know well nobody ever said that right Go ahead. right well stan charles is up. all right a lot of people yeah. said that yeah. <laughs> craig um, was the bat boy that's right yeah yeah craig and, was the bat boy. that's right end of the bench he was warm. the mascot yeah. he was the water boy that's right no but we all know what it's like to have a teammate that you're rooting for, but you don't really believe in any longer. You know, you coming back next week? Yeah. Now this is her last week. I was going to say this is it. <laughs> Are you coming back? <laughs> well, that's oh, he, a good. And you know, that's actually a great, great question he's, after the last three weeks. He's he's planning to. All right, let's uh, take a time out. We'll get back and uh, we'll set the stage for uh, the rest of the series against the Marlins, and then. An interleague series that takes place this week, and then a trip to Atlanta for another interleague yeah. series. We'll be right back. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Are you looking for a great deal? Maybe you need that perfect, affordable outfit or clothes for growing kids. Or maybe you're looking for that hard-to-find collectible. Visit Goodwill today. Shop with a mission and find everyday low prices on thousands of items, including brand-name clothing, stylish accessories, shoes, and furniture. Come to Goodwill and see what you can find. When you shop at Goodwill, when you donate to Goodwill, you will help someone find a job. To find a store near you, visit give to goodwill.org. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with the 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. Matt, we normally come on here and tell everyone, go listen to Section 336 and just to take our advice to go listen to 336. Instead of us telling you why we're awesome, let's have other people tell you why we're awesome. This person says, definitely a bunch of Oriole fans who just want to be able to buy playoff tickets. Section 336 is the greatest Baltimore Orioles podcasts around look forward to listening every week these guys are coconuts and if that's not enough reason to listen they are a great listen if you want orioles talk even during the off season if you're lucky they might even talk about the ravens josh matt and bert are a must listen every week check section 336 out for yourself on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts we're celebrating all things maryland when the baltimore brigade take on the albany empire saturday june 23rd at royal farms arena for maryland pride night enjoy fun for the whole family including our post-game field party 
when you can meet the entire brigade team. Get yourself in the game for as low as $14 when you visit BaltimoreBrigade.com today. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Bo Smolka looks at the final NFL draft for Ozzie Newsom as Ravens general manager and how he's built the franchise over the last two decades. Additionally, what does the future hold for UMBC after their historic NCAA tournament win over Virginia? Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Hey, it's Glenn, and I might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling podcast. Look, just just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to Job and Out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, (laughs) real quick. It's Jobbing Out, Glenn Clark, Aaron. Aaron Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins. He Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com. We are back on the battle round on this Saturday morning, the 16th of June. Tomorrow, it would have been my mom's birthday. The Libster. Yep, yep. 10, she would have been 95 years old tomorrow. But uh, miss her, think about her a lot. Haven't seen a rainbow in a while. That's when, after she died, I told myself that whenever I saw a rainbow, and it was amazing how for the first few years, I'd see rainbows all over the place. And then as time goes on, I've seen less and less rainbows. Mm -hmm. And more and more Chris Davis (laughs) striking out. (laughs) Which my mother would have. Uh, my favorite story about my mom was the time where she had seen uh, she had seen Yogi Berra on uh, Meet the Press with Tim Russert. Mm-hmm. I think it was when the All Star Game was being played in New York about ten, twelve years ago, and she heard a trivia question that Yogi Berra was the answer to. And I introduced her about a week or two later. She came up from Florida, and I introduced her to Jim Fergosi the former Angel shortstop, played for the Mets, managed the Phillies, the White Sox, the Angels, a couple other teams along the way. Great guy, great guy, and passed away about five years ago, four or five years ago. Well, my mother says, oh, you're Jim Fergosi. I, I got a great trivia question for you. You know, and Fergosi's watching the game, taking notes. You know, he wants, oh, yeah, what is it? My mother says, Who's the last New York Yankee player to hit a home run in a World Series game? So this is this has got to be my mom's been passed since 2008. So this is probably 2004. Some the so he's thinking back to the '96, the team that won four straight World Series. Derek Jeter, no. Uh, Tino Martinez, no. Scott Brosius, no. Bernie Williams, no. Exhaust every hitter on the seventy-six to eighty, you know, seven to ninety-six. So wait a minute. So now he goes, Reggie Jackson. He goes back like eighteen years. He goes, Reggie Jackson, Chris Chambliss. He named right. Every, she she goes, no, it's Yogi Berra. And Fergosi goes, Yogi Berra. He he hit home runs in like the fifties and sixties, you know, in the World Series. Mm-hmm. And my mother goes, Oh, did I say World Series? 
I meant all-star game. <laughs> You're going to fry an egg for Goosey's head. I'm sure. He's trying to watch the game, and he's throwing every Yankee player that he knows is in a home run. That's funny. Yeah. And that's the Libster. That is the Libster. That is the Well, the Orioles uh, and the uh, Miami Marlins, one more time at Camden Yards. Wei Yin Chen. Wei Yin Chen, yes. Not Wei Yin Chen. Not Wei Yin Chen. And he is back, and he will be on the mound uh, for the – uh, Marlins, and he'll be opposed by Alex Cobb. And really, when you think about pitching today, Cobb is two and eight, seven two three ERA. Right. Chen has had injury problems this year, one and three, right, uh, with a six thirteen. So, even for two teams that are offensively challenged, we should say, uh, you might get some runs put up in this one this afternoon. Yep. And then uh, up at uh, Rogers Center, Nats play game two of their series with the uh, Blue Jays, where. Mad Max takes the hill. Right. Scherzer's 10 and 2. ERA's at even 2. Mm-hmm. And he'll be uh, opposed by Carrasco. Or I'm sorry, by Estrada. Uh, and uh, Estrada's 3 and 6 with a 5.09. All right. Sounds so good. That. And they're a game and a half behind the Braves in the Who, East. Who's uh, going tomorrow for the Orioles and the. Uh, do we know that? Uh, I would think it may be Bundy, right? Hold on. I may, I may have the answer to that question right here. Uh, tom- tomorrow would be Bundy against yeah. Trevor Richards. Okay. Four and seven Dylan Bundy with 3.66 earned run average. The Orioles only starting pitcher with an ERA under four runs a game. Right. Uh, so it's been a tough year. Onward and upward, as they say. No question they say that, but yeah. uh, I'm not so sure we're feeling it right now. All right, now and ne- next week for the Orioles – uh, day off, I believe, on Monday, and then uh, down to Nationals Park for three. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, all night all games? All night games, yeah. Okay, and then, and then uh, on to Atlanta for and three. And then on to Atlanta, yeah, for the weekend. And then uh, uh, the interesting thing about that Braves series is you get a chance to see Nick Markakis. Nick Markakis, but also Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman's at 15 home runs now for the first time uh, in his career uh, before the month of July. Okay. So... Uh, and Marquegas is having a great year. Yeah, incredible year in a contract year for him, yes. which I would guess there'd be a lot of push to re-sign him to a two-year deal in Atlanta. I think right. he's comfortable there. Uh, I certainly don't expect him to come back to Baltimore. I uh, don't think that's in the offing. No, I don't think so either. I know the fans are clamoring for it, and I know you see Facebook posts and Twitter posts about Nick and everything else, but – I had, I had, again, revisionist history. I had no yeah. problems with the Orioles' decision, knowing what they knew at the time yep. about the neck and the rehabs yep. and things of that nature. Uh, I just don't think that was a good fit here yeah. at the time. And I got to tell you, I, I go back of those three signings, uh, the three players that let get away, which were Marcakis, Nelson Cruz. I also understood why you wouldn't want a fourth year on Nelson Cruz at yeah. the age he was at the time. He was 34 years old then. Yeah, uh, He's 38 now, I think, uh, having still a terrific year. A little The batting average is down. I think he's in the 240s, but he's got 13, 14 home runs. I heard driving home from the game last night, I heard he's hit eight home runs in his last 16 games. Yeah, he's on a tear right so now. He's on a tear. A power tear, anyway. But the guy that, to me, was unimaginable that you let walk in here and you give up a talent like Eduardo Rodriguez and just have Andrew Miller for two months and then don't really 
make a big effort to sign him. That made no sense. Made no sense, but at the same time, from some of the things I heard, I didn't think Andrew Miller wanted to be here. I don't know. We'll never know for yeah. sure. You know, everybody said that he wanted to be a Yankee, but he sure didn't ask the Yankees for a no trade clause. <laughs> Uh, but he turned down more money, apparently, from the Houston Astros to go to the uh, Yankees because he wanted to win. But the Yankees, the Yankees, and this is something the Yankees did that the Orioles might maybe look to do with Adam Jones in that this year, if, if somebody's interested in Adam Jones and it's a contending team that they get a prospect and get then a try and re-sign and him. Try to re-sign and bring him yeah, back. We did it once with Mike Bordick. And that's what the, uh, right, they did it with Mike Bordick with the Mets, and that's something that the Yankees did. It rarely happens with uh, Araldus Chapman. Right, with yeah. Chapman, and they brought yeah. him back. Yeah. yeah. All right, we will see. Brittany Everett, thank you for rocking the red, and thank you for being here. You're welcome. Go Caps. All go right. O's. Go, go O's. Nats. And go, go Nats. Yes, go Nats. That's go Nats. I thought she said go Nats. No. Okay. <laughs> All right, that does wrap up our show, this edition of the Bat Around. We might be back next week. We might be back <laughs> next week. It's online, folks. It's okay. online. All right, we thank you for joining in. Um, won't be doing an after bird watching today. Back tomorrow with after bird watching. Why also not? watch, I'm going out to dinner with my wife. This Priorities. Is, I understand that. Right. I understand that. Tomorrow, though, I will be back with that. And also tomorrow morning at 10.30, you can watch um, you can watch Keith Booth and Tony Penty and an interview that uh, Bill Ardeen and I did with David Cordish on the opening of the Live Hotel Casino um, out there, Live Casino Hotel out in Arundel Mills. We'll be back uh, next Saturday with you. Have a great weekend, everybody. Mm-hmm.